What I shall say, I could say much better if we were alone, just the two of us. It would be easier also if we had come to know one another and had that kind of trust that makes it possible to talk of serious, even sacred things. If we were that close, because of the nature of what I shall say, I would study you carefully as I spoke, and if there was the slightest disinterest or distraction, the subject would be quickly changed to more ordinary things. I have not, to my knowledge, in my ministry, said anything more important. I intend to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, about what He really did, and why it matters now. One may ask, aside from the influence He has had on society, what effect can He have on me individually? To answer that question, I ask, have you ever been hard-pressed financially? Have you ever been confronted with an unexpected expense or a mortgage coming due with really no idea how to pay it? Such an experience, however painful, can, in the eternal scheme of things, be very, very useful. If you miss that lesson, you may have to make it up like a course that was missed or a test that was failed before you come spiritually mature. That may be what the Lord had in mind when He said, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Those who have faced a foreclosure know that one looks helplessly around, hoping for someone, anyone, to come to the rescue. This lesson is so valuable because there is a spiritual account with a balance kept and a settlement due that no one of us will escape. To understand this spiritual debt, we must speak of such intangibles intangibles as love and faith, mercy and justice. Although these virtues are both silent and invisible, surely I do not need to persuade you that they are real. We become so accustomed to learning things through our physical senses by sight and sound and smell, by taste and touch, that some of us seem to learn in no other way. But there are spiritual things that are not registered that way at all. Some things we simply feel, not as we feel something we touch, but as we feel something we feel. There are spiritual things that are registered in our minds and recorded in our memories as pure knowledge. As surely as we know about material things, we can come to know about spiritual things. Each of us without exception, will one day settle that spiritual account. We will that day face a judgment for our doings in mortal life and face a foreclosure of sorts. One thing I know, we will be justly dealt with. Justice, the eternal law of justice, will be the measure against which we settle this account. Justice is usually pictured holding a scales and blindfolded against the possibility that she may be partial or that she may become sympathetic. There is no sympathy in justice, only justice. Our lives will be weighed on the scale of justice. The Prophet Alma declared, 
Justice claimeth the creature and executeth the law, and the law inflicteth the punishment. If not so, the works of justice would be destroyed, and God would cease to be God. The poet spoke the truth when he said, In the course of justice only, there would none of us see salvation. Let me tell you a story, a parable. There was once a man who wanted something very much. It seemed more important to him than anything else in his life. In order to have uh, what he desired, he incurred a great debt. He had been warned about going into that much debt, and particularly about his creditor, but it seemed so important for him to do what he wanted to do and to have what he wanted right now. So he signed a contract. He would pay it off sometime. He didn't worry about it too much, for the due date seemed such a long time away. He had what he wanted now, and that's what seemed important. The creditor was always somewhere in the back of his mind, and he made token payments now and again, thinking somehow that the day of reckoning never would really come. But, as it always does, the day came, the contract fell due, the debt had not been paid, and his creditor appeared and demanded payment in full. Only then did he realize that his creditor not only had the power to repossess all that he owned, but power to cast him into prison as well. I cannot pay you, for I have not the power to do so, he confessed. Then, said the creditor, we will exercise the contract, take your possessions, and you shall go to prison. You agreed to that. It was your choice. You signed the contract. Now it must be enforced. Can you not extend the time or forgive the debt the debtor begged? Arrange somehow for me to keep what I have and not go to prison. Surely you believe in mercy. Will you not show me mercy? The creditor replied, Mercy is always so one-sided. It would serve only you. If I show mercy to you, it will leave me unpaid. It is justice I demand. Do you believe in justice? I believed in justice when I signed the contract, the debtor said. It was on my side then, for I thought it would protect me. I did not need mercy then, nor think I ever should need it. Justice, I thought, would serve both of us equally as well. It is justice demands that you pay the contract or suffer the penalty, the creditor replied. That is the law. You have agreed to it, and that is the way it must be. Mercy cannot rob justice. There they were, one meeting out justice, the other pleading for mercy. Neither could prevail except at the expense of the other. If you do not forgive the debt, there will be no mercy, the debtor pleaded. If I do, there will be no justice, was the reply. Both laws, it seemed, could not be served. They are two eternal ideals that appear to contradict one another. Is there no way for justice to be fully served and mercy also? There is a way. The law of justice can be fully satisfied, and mercy can be fully extended. But it takes someone else, 
And so it happened this time. The debtor had a friend. He came to help. He knew the debtor well, knew him to be short-sighted. He thought him foolish to have gotten himself into such a predicament. Nevertheless, he wanted to help him because he loved him. He stepped between them, faced the creditor, and made this offer. I will pay the debt if you will free the debtor from his contract so that he may keep his possessions and not go to prison. As the creditor was pondering the offer, the mediator added, You demanded justice. Though he cannot pay you, I will do so. You will have been justly dealt with and can ask for no more. It would not be just. And so the creditor agreed. The mediator turned then to the debtor. If I pay your debt, will you accept me as your creditor? Oh, yes, yes, cried the debtor. You save me from prison and show mercy to me. Then said the benefactor, You will pay the debt to me, and I will set the terms. It will not be easy, but it will be possible. I will provide a way. You need not go to prison. And so it was that the creditor was paid in full and had been justly dealt with. No contract had been broken. The debtor, in turn, had been extended mercy. Both laws stood fulfilled. Because there was a mediator, justice had claimed its full share, and mercy was fully satisfied. Each of us lives on kind of a spiritual credit. One day the account will be closed, a settlement demanded. However casually we may view it now, when that day comes and the foreclosure is imminent, we will look around in restless agony for someone, anyone, to help us. And by eternal law, mercy cannot be extended, save there be one who is both willing and able to assume our debt and pay the price and arrange the terms for our redemption. Unless there is a mediator, unless we have a friend, the full weight of justice, untempered, unsympathetic, must, positively must, fall on us. Full recompense for every transgression, however minor, however deep, will be exacted from us to the uttermost farthing. But know this, truth, glorious truth, proclaims that there is such a mediator. For, as the prophet said, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Through him mercy can be fully extended to each of us without offending the eternal law of justice. This truth is the very root of Christian doctrine. You may know much about the gospel as it branches out from there, but if you only know the branches, and those branches do not touch that root, if they have been cut free from that truth, there will be no life, nor substance, nor redemption in them. Now, this extension of mercy will not be automatic. It will be through covenant with Him. It will be on His terms, His generous terms, which include as an absolute essential baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. 
A knowledge of what I am talking about is of very practical value. It is very useful and very helpful personally. It opens the way for each of us to keep his spiritual account paid up. You perhaps are among those troubled people that when you come face to your face to yourself in those moments of quiet contemplation that many of us try to avoid, are there some unsettled things that bother you? Do you have something on your conscience? Are you still, to one degree or another, guilty of something, small or large? We often try to solve guilt problems by telling one another they don't matter, but somehow, deep inside, we don't believe one another, nor do we believe ourselves if we say it. We know better. They do matter. Our transgressions are all added to our account, and one day, if it is not properly settled, each of us, like Belshazzar of Babylon, will be weighed in the balance and found wanting. But there is a Redeemer, a Mediator, who stands both willing and able to appease the demands of justice and to extend mercy to those who are penitent, for he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin, to answer the ends of the law, and to all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. Already he has accomplished the redemption of all mankind from mortal death. Resurrection is extended to all without condition. He also makes possible the redemption from the second death, which is the spiritual death, which is separation from the presence of our Heavenly Father. This redemption can come on only to those who are clean, for no unclean thing can dwell in the presence of God. If justice decrees that we are not eligible because of our transgressions, mercy provides a probation, a penitence, a preparation to enter in. I have carried with me a desire, a great desire, to bear testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have yearned to tell you in simple terms what he did and who he is. I know how poor mere words can be in trying to convey such a testimony, but I also know that such can be conveyed by the Spirit, even without words. At times I struggle under the burden of imperfections. Nevertheless, because I know that he lives, there is a supreme, reoccurring happiness and joy. There is one place where I am particularly vulnerable, when I know I have abused someone or caused them hurt or offended them. That is when I know what agony is, how sweet it is on those occasions to be reassured that he lives and to have my witness reaffirmed I fervently desire to show you how our burdens of disappointment and sin and guilt can be laid before him and on his generous terms have each one marked on our account paid in full. I claim with my brethren of the Twelve to be a witness of him, a special witness of him. My witness with theirs is true. I love the Lord, and I love the Father who sent him. 
Eliza R. Snow, with deep spiritual inspiration, wrote these words with which I close. How great the wisdom and the love that filled the courts on high and sent the Savior from above to suffer, bleed, and die. His precious blood he freely spilled, his life he freely gave, a sinless sacrifice for guilt, a dying world to save. How great, how glorious, how complete redemption's grand design where justice, love, and mercy meet in harmony divine. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.